What's up, bookworms? This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with Nicole Lundrigan. Uh, we're talking about A Man Downstairs. That book is available now. I really enjoyed talking with Nicole. Um, I really enjoyed just kind of like learning about how she gets into the zone uh, with her dark themes in her books. And then also, I don't know, this kind of teasing her about her uh uh, Google and um, you know just a heads up that uh, this interview was originally recorded on February 2nd um, but either way without further ado here is Nicole Lundrigan so today we've got Nicole Lundrigan we're talking about a man downstairs that comes out on March 5th Nicole thank you so much for meeting with me today I did not expect this book to have the hold on me that it did it was uh, very well written, very suspenseful, very creepy, and it it, it just kept coming, and I, I loved it. And I remember, I'm going to be all over the place today, but I just remember my husband was watching me read it, and he saw me, like, set the book down and look up, and, and like, my mind was blown multiple times towards the last, like, 20 20- 15% of the of the book and so yeah we're, we're gonna get into it and thanks for chatting with me today thank you thank you so much for having me that's really really wonderful to hear that you enjoyed the read or I don't even know if enjoyed is quite the right word we're <laughs> engaged and uh, this is the first time I'm actually going to be talking about the book so I'll probably be all over the place too <laughs> no perfect that's all good yeah, we'll try to be spoiler free as much as possible. So to get started, could you go into kind of share a summary of the book so that people can follow along with the conversation? Yeah, well, the book is essentially uh, told from three separate perspectives. And the main one is a woman named Molly who returns to her hometown with her teenage son. And she's recently separated And she returns home as her father's had a debilitating stroke and she needs to sort through uh, the care that he needs as well as everything that's in his house. Uh, And she's fairly well known in the community because when she was very young, she witnessed her mother's murder and later went on to testify as to what she saw. And her statement, there was a man downstairs, ended up being pivotal in putting a uh, 16-year-old in jail. And as an adult, uh, she's uncertain about her memories during that time and has questions about what she actually saw, what she actually remembered. And that's weighing on her as she returns to uh, look after her father. And the community itself was quite split. Well, some people viewing her as a hero and other people viewing her as as a liar. And so she's going through this process and learning what actually happened and when she was quite young, as well as dealing with all the other things. And another section is the love story, I guess you could call it, with Molly's mother and father, how they met. And it's a little bit, it's not necessarily a conventional love story. It's a little dark, but yeah, I'm not quite sure how to talk about that without (laughs) giving a spoiler. And then, so basically the father meets the mother and he, in a sense, uh, creates her personality in her head and then struggles when the woman that he actually marries is not necessarily consistent with the vision and that leads to various insecurities and various uh yeah so but uh, we'll talk about him in a bit yeah <laughs> and, and the third uh, character is an anonymous narrator 
who also met the um, Molly's mother when he was young back in the 70s and creates an entire fantasy world, a relationship with her. And it's a very intense and that shapes his life essentially, but it exists only within his head. So those are the three characters. Three yeah, a lot of powerful. I just I appreciated like how complex and captivating it was because as it could be tricky, I I would imagine as the author, if you're you're gonna go there and you're gonna make it complex, but you also want to make sure to deliver it in a way that is not only like understandable and flows flows well, but then also is engaging. And you you hit it all. And I just remember I was so sucked in. And I was just, I have a tendency to not catch on when I'm reading because I, I'm a sucker for thrillers and suspense and, and stuff like that. So I, I think just my reading style, I just don't, I don't necessarily catch on right away. And so I just wasn't surprised at all that I had no idea because you fooled everyone more than once, but I loved it. I loved it. Cause I'm like, I was like just looking at other opinions that are out there right now. And, and they're all saying I was wrong and I'm not mad about it. So I, I love that. I think that's so that's part of the fun. That's part of the challenge for you. I'm guess I'm, I'm assuming too, but so you have a handful of published works already, right? So are they all like thrillers? Can you go to your background a little bit and maybe kind of like what led you, like what led to A Man Downstairs? A Man Downstairs is my ninth novel. And um, I'm looking back on it, I didn't really think when I was a young person that I would be a fiction writer. I was doing a master's of science at University of Toronto. And shortly after that, I, I finished that, I had my daughter. And I remember calling my grandmother and she's from um, an outport in small community in Newfoundland. And I told her that I had a, a, a girl, little girl, and her first words to me, well, that's nice. And don't forget about your career. So I was a little, it was like, she's only, the baby's only half an hour old. <laughs> so I'm already feeling a little stressed about what I'm going to do. And so I decided to start writing. And the first things I wrote were magazine articles and just various some things for newspapers, things that were science related for children or whatever, and using the background that I had. And then at one point, I decided very naively that I was going to write a book. And I had no idea what I was doing. And in some ways, looking back on it, having zero clue actually probably gave me the confidence to do it. And I remember at one point, I was about halfway through the book, and this was maybe 2001-ish, and I Googled rules for writing. And then I quickly closed my laptop because I think I was breaking pretty much every rule because I didn't <laughs> know the difference. And I ended up sending that book out to a handful of small independent publishers in Canada, and one of them published it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I wrote another one and learned from the first book. And then wrote another one and it did a little bit better. And then I wrote another one and again, learning. So with each book, I've been learning a little bit about and finding my voice. And But with the first book, I remember I told my mother that I'm, I'm going to try and write a novel. And she said, well, if you expect me to read it, you better put a murder in it. <laughs> and so I said, okay, I did. And I've done that each time since. So and eventually it led to book nine and now I'm working on book 10. So okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. 
That's awesome. That's yeah. I'm also a mom too. I've got two young boys and it's, I I love that though. They are like, just, okay, don't forget. Like you gotta, don't let it get you. Like, don't, I love, I, I, as a overwhelming, I'm sure it was, or like that maybe that wasn't what you were expecting to hear to do mom right away. Right. But I still love that. It's, it's, yeah. I, I love that encouragement or that the bluntness of it. <laughs> a little bit of pressure, but she was right. She was right. And it, it worked out. Yeah, absolutely. Congrats on nine books and almost 10, almost double digits here. That's really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so what kind of draws you, you can piggybacking off of that. What kind of draws you to the thriller? Is it just kind of like, because you were catering to a specific idea that was suggested to you, as you just mentioned, or because a lot of authors, I feel like they're drawn to what they love to read. So I, I like I said, I'm a sucker for thrillers. I really enjoy it. And um, yeah. so, yeah, I just want to explore like how, like how you feel about it. What draws you to that? I think I've always been drawn to kind of trying, well, to start, I think, again, going back to my mother, when I was maybe 12 or 13, I started to read true crime. And, and that was because she was reading true crime. So I would take her books and read them. And I remember reading about Bundy and the Anne Rule book and Helter Skelter I read and probably a little bit too young to read these things. But yeah, still, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. And I remember reading a book about a girl named Cinnamon and the father convinced his daughter, who was named Cinnamon, I never forgot that name, to kill his wife. And that was true crime as well. And it's probably something that happened back in the 70s or um, early 80s. And that was a spark. And I was always interested in what happened, but very much in the why it happened. So, and even when I write, I'm very interested in the characters, the psychology of the characters, not just what they do or, or but I want to really understand why they do what they do. So their motivation, their experiences, their emotions, that type of thing. And that's, I guess, something that I've always been drawn to is that kind of darkness and wanting to logic it out in a sense. So it maybe it makes it less unsettling if I can understand why. And that's essentially what I explore in my writing is not just the plot of what happened, but very much and sometimes trying to have empathy i've written terrible characters and i can always find a thread of empathy for when they do terrible things yeah i like that you want to get in their head and find out the reasoning i think because I'm, I'm i had hopped onto the true crime wave as well and i kind of like you know i wonder like what's with the spike and like the fascination of it and i think kind of like yeah. what you mentioned personally for me it's like helping to explain it helps yeah. like maybe like comfort is for lack of better words but just like what yeah because obviously it's these people do horrible things but it's it's it, it maybe helps reconcile or, or settle that settle yeah. the unsettling aspects of it in order to yeah, yeah like just explain it like why and yeah. it's, it's scary because the human brain is so crazy and it's it's like what what leads up to that what are we could go down all sorts of rabbit holes, but yeah, I, I, I think that's why some of this man downstairs just like resonates so well, or it's just so engaging because yeah, you obviously like you feel for this unnamed narr narrator, the young narrator who is obsessed, has a weird obsession and 
it's because but because you're the reader is like in that point of view you do still for myself at least I still yeah like I was really interested in his outcome and figuring it out but that's also the challenge of creating multi-dimensional characters right and complicated characters just so everyone in, you might be a villain in someone's story kind of thing like it, it's it's yeah it, just to create not so black and white and that's what makes it so so just like fascinating and so complex and yeah it's really remarkable because I just remember I also want to get into that have you are you usually write like multiple points of views in your books I'm trying to think I I would say yes one thing I haven't written much of is women my own age or around okay. that time 40 yeah I'm in my 50s now but in the around that 40s women with teenage children I've written more teenagers than I've written women. And I'm not quite sure why I've resisted that <laughs> book. Tender's going into that. But that's, yeah, I have, the last book was written from a perspective of, I think he was an 11-year-old boy who had, who was accused of a triple murder. And that was 1950s. So that was just a singular perspective. But mixed in among that were court transcripts and police documentation and radio excerpts, things like that. And then before that, I wrote about two children. So I tend to write about children and teenagers for some reason. And <laughs> how do you, because yeah. I imagine that would be like a little bit more challenging, like writing from a point of view, very like opposite gender, op, like in totally different generation, like different age. I want to explore how, how you approach that and, and how do you get like the mindset and then not only to get in the mindset, but then to switch back and forth between the, the points of views and stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I grew up with four brothers. So okay. There's six in my family, one sister and four brothers. And so maybe that has something to do with it. And I often think that teenage boys get a little bit of a bad rap because they, they, I think they're a lot more vulnerable than they let on. And it's an interesting area you know, to, to explore that kind of sensitivity. And I also think in childhood or in when you're a teenager, you're really trying to come to grips with the world and understand what's going on. And it's naturally an unreliable narrator because they're not maybe savvy to the, the world around them. But for some reason, I've always struggled writing an adult female. <laughs> maybe there's something. Maybe we maybe won't deal with pressure. I don't know. <laughs> because maybe it involves some self-reflection that I'm not willing to do at, but yeah I've I've always found it a little bit easier to write from the perspective of of a child yeah I don't know I I think that's cool I just I always and I enjoy asking authors that because I think it's just an interesting way just that for character development it's you got to get in there you got to get a little deeper and you got to really try to understand it and it's more challenging when it's not not your gender and not your uh, yeah. generation, not your age, things like that. So how is it like the same way with like different timelines too? Do you do a lot of different um, dual timelines in your novels and like kind of the same way? Like, how do you approach that? I want to, there's, there could be like a multifaceted question, but I, I'll, I'm going to break it down eventually, but kind of like, is it the same way you approach the dual timeline aspect of it as well? I think when there's a dual timeline, I tend to write a little bit in to stay in one timeline for a little while and then when I feel like okay I need to mix it up a little bit I'll go and I'll I'll work on the other timeline so the end product is not necessarily the way that I wrote it 
Right. So I might gallop ahead with one one character and then the other one's lagging behind and then I'll know little bits and pieces of how they fit in and then I need to catch that up. And so I think the last two books I've written with the the last one, An Unthinkable Thing, has the court excerpts, which are the trial excerpts, which are they reflect what's actually happening with distortion people. So that was actually very, very tricky to do. And it took a lot of going back and forth. And this one, I knew how things were supposed to overlap in a sense, but it was difficult to keep everything on track. And then I had to take it all apart. And for the first time, I actually had a board and I had everything written on these little cue cards and just to keep track because it, it is yeah. a complicated story and hard as you see what the book is about it's hard to summarize and because there's a lot of yeah yeah I love that I love like like the visual you just had to like I bet you surprised yourself in doing that for the first time just like figure out what works like how are you gonna make sure that you've got everything under control and you and yeah because yeah, like I said this book it's so captivating but it's like really complex and you delivered in a way for the reader at least for myself where I, I was following along I could catch it nothing I wasn't confused and I think that's what like the final last I don't know 15 percent of the book the last quarter fifth of the book it was just like I I was like I said earlier I was just like reading and then I'm just like putting the book down and staring off and, and being like, what the fuck just happened? It's, and it's, excuse me for my swearing. You can do it too. But I'm just like, that's how I felt. I was like, my head exploded and my jaw dropped like so many times. So well done. All that extra visualization, postcards, everything. It works. You might have a new system there if you ever need to like feel it out again. I love that. I enjoy like learning the process and everybody's process is different. Like some people are pantsers, some people outline, some people have post-it notes everywhere. I, yeah. I just love it. Whatever, whatever works for you. Right. I used to be a total pantser and just a little bit of a it usually isn't until about halfway through that I, I'm pretty clear at that point, but being a total pantser, it makes life harder. Because yeah. there's a lot to fix, a lot to adjust, but still you make some good discovery. So I'm in no way do I outline, but I generally have some sense of where I'm going and then see what the characters do and what they say. And sometimes they surprise me and that sends yeah. me down a different road. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, com- that's common too. I, lo- I love that too. Or it's just, I don't know, my character became a dog owner. I didn't even plan that. It's just like a dog showed up and never left. I love that. Like things like that, where it's just like, they just wouldn't leave. (laughs) Yeah, it does happen. Kind of neat. Yeah, that's awesome. So regarding your research, I imagine your Google search history is is questionable. Like, how did your process go? Did you find like anything really surprising that you learned? Things like that? Because, yeah, it go, you go down some very dark and disturbing roads. I mean, there was a lot of drug research and even like prescription drug research and, and trying to figure out what, what was a common drug in the late 60s or used in the set. Because there's a, the, the Molly's father is a pharmacist. And so trying to get and looking up photos of what a pharmacy might look like in the early 1970s. Mm. It's it's all quite fun. I'm trying to think if there's anything that really surprised me. There was something I wrote about in the book that I was 
very bizarre about a rabbit. I don't know if you remember that about a pregnancy test. And he tells her about the rabbit, the test that they would do on a rabbit years oh, right. earlier. And that was a strange thing I happened upon. I thought, and then I researched that. I said, is that actually true? And yes, it is that they would do that test on a rabbit. And anyway, it was bizarre. That's something that I was very, I'd never heard of or would never have been able to imagine on my own. Yeah, I just think that's so funny, like how authors are like, especially even almost any authors of any genre, they have to Google things. And like, I, I just think it's so funny. It's like an unspoken understanding amongst writers but yeah because you have to do research you have to google so and and yeah for a thriller or a murder mystery it was like how long would it take to suffocate someone how long does it take for a body to start decomposing it's <laughs> what <laughs> oh i did have to do some research about decomposition underwater and how long would the bones stay and things yeah. like that so yeah. that was bizarre you go down some bizarre roads and um I imagine, yeah, you kind of like click one link and then you're like off in another link and then you try to like, yeah. yeah, you figure this out and then you get carried away before you've got like 14 tabs open. Like, all <laughs> disturbing. Yeah, right. Okay. I'm going to throw this at you. What were the most challenging parts to write and then what were like the most enjoyable parts to write? Oh, that's easy, actually. I found Molly, who's a female, a little bit younger than me. She's probably mid-40s. I found her incredibly hard to write. And I actually had to go back multiple times to flesh her out. And finally, in the end, I felt like I captured her character and found the depth in her. Whereas she, I skated above her surface for the first draft. And it took, it, it took a little bit of rewriting to get her where I felt okay this is right the anonymous one that lives in his head the anonymous man I found that hugely fun to write I'm I don't know what that says about me maybe I should admit that because he's a little <laughs> disturbed but that was fun and so many times even as I was rereading it I just cracked up laughing that's what he said and Gil's yeah. story was very emotional. So I enjoyed writing that, but my favorite was writing. Oh, yeah. I just, I know, I, as a reader, I just, I felt for Gil so yeah. much. I just felt for him. I'm like, because he's not, no, I mean, Edie scared the shit out of me. That was like, ooh, girl. And, and, but I, it's just, he's just, I don't know, like a little hopeless romantic about it. Like he was just yeah. smitten and in love with her. And he tried yeah. so hard to just make her happy. And yeah. it, it it was never, no matter what, it was like some, at some point, I feel like the readers realize like it's, that ain't like, it's never, you could try everything. And it's never going to yeah, have the same outcome that you want. And it's so heartbreaking. Yeah. And then you real, and then I'm like having to remind myself, Oh no, shit. This is like Molly's parents. And then two little two year old Molly and just, Oh shit. Like what? And then, yeah. and then you explore like the whole thing is her. Cause as a four year old, her testimony is so you have to be careful. Like you're treading on really thin ice. Like, when you rely on a witness of that age and yeah. that, and that it was, she would have been the key. That testimony was yeah. the key. And then for her to come back and for her to be like, do, do I really 
is my memory really that reliable? Do I really have yeah. all the details? Right. And then it's, and then she's, she's learning, she's rehashing it and she's like reconnecting with people and she's starting to readers start to realize with her, she might know the least out of a lot of people, yeah. even though she directly witnessed what happened. And so yeah. I, yeah, I just love, even so it's, I, I felt for Gil. And even like you said, that the unnamed narrator, I I still felt for him too. And obviously there's mm-hmm. like mental illness. There's seriously, I want to dive into that too. Like when you, I can, I can see how he was fun to write. Cause it's like, how do you yeah. get like so delusional? How do you make this authentic? And how do you make it so that I was still like as a reader, like to be invested in him and still, I just wanted to shake him and be like, dude, it's okay. Don't <laughs> but fuck these guys. Your friends suck. Don't like. But it's so heartbreaking too, because it's we're at the mercy of like our friend group. We're at the mercy of our circumstances yeah. and mm-hmm. how it's his peers. It's it's the peer pressure. It's the peer experience, the teenage experience where we're so impressionable and we just want to be liked. It's that that drive, that need, the desire for acceptance. And like yeah. how, what's the motivation? Like how does that drive everything after that, right? I want to, with the whole mental illness aspect of it, how I just kind of like want to explore just how, how you went there and how you made it. Like, what was that process? Oh, how did I go there? It just, when I'm writing, it's not that I think try and capture his whole character. And honestly, it's a little bit of a mystery how I go there. I There's no sort of trick or just... I don't even know how I go there. It's a little That's bit a- <laughs> like, I'll uh, yeah, it's just it's- follow the flow. Yeah. yeah. I don't really have a, a great answer and I have a f- sense of him and what he thinks and how he feels. And I have a sense of his vulnerability and his desire to be liked and loved. That's not coming externally. His mother is very controlling, which we you know where that ends up. <laughs> And his friends are not really his friends. They're just a big group of uh, users that we, that's pretty evident early on. So he's on his own in a lot of ways, trying to move through the world. And then he latches on to Edie, who is Molly's mother, after he has a very bland encounter with her. It's not an exciting encounter at all, but somehow it, it blossoms in his head And that gives him a great deal of comfort as he moves through what probably is a very kind of cruel world for him. And so I just wrote what happened and what he thought. And and I really don't know where all of those little bits came from. It's just in my head, I'm, I'm just trying to pretend that I'm thinking like him and how would he react? What would he say? Yeah. And it just comes out on the page. So, yeah, it was, I don't think I've come across a character quite like that and where it's, yeah, it's, it's like a a step above delusional. It's like a real, like there's, there's a, he needs help. He needed help. And it's just, yeah. And as, as I, for, cause as speaking from 
we're mothers. It's sometimes with his mom, I'm like, girl, just chill, chill out. Like, just take a step back. But she, but I also understood it. Like, she was just looking out for him, and she, she knew like that that his like friends were like bad news, and she yeah. was just so concerned about him. But she was like, she got really carried away about it. And they're like, as and I'm not looking forward to my kids becoming teenagers because I know even if it's boy versus girl, I think no matter what, teenagers just I don't know. It's a rite of passage for parents to have teenage kids, and we all gotta go through it. We all gotta eat shit. We all gotta. It's it's a thing. It's a whole thing. And I I speak that I'm like, well, uh, yeah, I was a former teenager, and back then, I thought like. I'm looking at my relationship with, between me and my dad, and I don't know if it's just because of the teenage daughter or dad thing, or if it's just because I, I'm I'm like my dad in a lot of ways, and that probably contributed mm-hmm. it as well. But I think that's a lot of parent teenager relationships, how just those little factors like that, and and because the brain is still developing, and that's why I think it's so fascinating that you're like, no, I, I write from teenagers' points of view a lot. And I'm like, that's so it's just like screams to me that's smart and just I imagine really engaging for you like not only the reader for me to read about it but for you to like go create that character I just think it's it's funny how because I I don't know I think teenagers teenagers don't even understand how their own brain works sometimes there's a level of self-awareness I think but not to the extent that it's crazy to me so yeah I thought that was like really fascinating and also just that element in there and I I think it's so funny that you're like I don't know I write from that point of view so much I don't know why (laughs) yeah that's it's always tricky for me to explain or where my inspiration comes from or or I can talk about my process but the other aspects are a little bit of a mystery to me and I would always when I started writing I always tried to come up with answers of what might sound good as an explanation for my inspiration or whatever. And I don't do that anymore because I, I just try to be honest now. I, I don't have much of a clue. It just does. <laughs> That's okay. I I feel like who it doesn't matter anymore. We're just like taking one day at a time and you got to do, yeah. you got to take, take it as, as you approach it. Right cross that bridge when you come to it it's but I think you're I don't think you're alone just from all the authors that I talk to about their work it's sometimes it's just like real that intuitive where they don't it's hard for them to articulate right like they just something just something's happening and it ends up like being a, a great resource a great tool for for them and I think it's I can write a little bit and then go about my day and I'm not consciously thinking about the characters but there's I think somewhere it's something's percolating in there. And then when I go back to write some more, I'm like, oh, yeah. And so I think my brain is working on it when yeah. when I'm not necessarily aware of it. Yeah. Or, <laughs> I think, no, like I think that's okay. It just only comes to, if you wanted to ever like teach a writing course or something like that, yeah. then maybe you'd have to narrow that down. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be tricky for me to teach someone else writing because- I've learned by writing and by making mistakes in each book. I think, oh, I could have done that a little bit differently, or I would have made that part a little bit shorter or not gone down that road. Or So with, with each book, I've, I'm learning a little bit, but I don't know how I'd ever articulate that to guide someone else to write. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's some people are just really good at articulating their pro their mind, what goes on yeah. in their brain, but, and some people like I'm right there with you. I've, 
I know I, I studied um English as an undergrad and I big surprise reader here, but I think I understand like how grammar works and syntax and everything. And I can proofread and edit like nobody's business, but if, if to explain it to someone yeah. else, that's, that's when I would be like, oh, okay. And which is of course perfect for when you have children who are asking questions all the time. Like my stuff, I've had to definitely try to explain things that I, I'm not used to having to explain. Well, just the meaning yeah. of a word, yeah. for example, or like, even then, like my son's mommy, what does sarca sarcastic mean? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. shit, how do you explain sarcasm? Like, how do you, yeah. <laughs> and I think I said something like when, when some, it's like when somebody's trying to imply something, but by saying the opposite, it's yeah. And I was like, and he's six. It's what, <laughs> like, yeah. how do I explain that? I don't even know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It's, it's an, almost an intuitive thing, and you need to learn to be able to pick up on someone else's sarcasm, which is that would be super tricky to explain to a six-year-old. Yeah. Yeah, and there's because there's a level of intelligence to it, right? I, I think I've seen like statistically, quote unquote, like more like sarcasm is a sign of intelligence, and so yeah, um, or it's like that kind of humor, right? Or somebody who can like immediately react in like like immediately understand the context and yeah. put that spin on it they can react that way it's it's a sign of intelligence and so I'm kind of like oh okay like what yeah. <laughs> like yeah. how deep do I go here <laughs> yeah that's a tricky one yeah I, I don't remember exactly what I said but I think it was something along the lines that made sense in the simplest terms okay so just a couple more questions here before we wrap up I'm going to throw another one at you, multi-part. So what advice do you have for Molly? What advice, and we didn't really talk specifically about these kind of characters. What advice do you have for Alex? What advice do you have for Rusty? And what yeah, obviously trying to be spoiler free, you can choose at the beginning of the book or the end of the book, because <laughs> obviously that makes a difference into what you would advise. So okay. yeah. What advice would I have for Molly? I think trust her instincts and to not let fear inform her decisions or what she explores. Alex is the son of Molly. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember the characters. <laughs> <laughs> no, me too. I've read like four, I think five books since I finished this one. So I'm like, okay. I, I got to get back in the zone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'm into it yet, and I'm into the other book, and then I was reading what my outline. Like I went through the book maybe a year ago and wrote out what each section was about, and then I just read that. So I said, okay, yes, I remember. Um, for Alex, gosh, he's a, a teenager, and he we learn initially he's in some trouble or having consequences for something that he did. And then we learn that's not quite what happened. So I would say keep on being the good person that he is because he's he's growing and learning and he's got a very strong sense of morals and right and wrong. And yeah, so he was he was a good, good kid. And Russell, what would my advice for Russell to be? You know, stay weird, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little quirky bird. What, but he's also a very kind person and his rabbit snaring and painting endeavors and I don't know what other 
just and I like the fact that he was having a relationship with Alex and even though he's a bit of an odd guy he was still being a playing a nice like a gentle role in in Alex's life so I like that so I would my advice for him is to to value that and to continue to be a positive a positive uh, person in a teenage boy's life yeah especially since Molly's um acting out as a acting as a single mom at this point so yeah I I I do I I Rusty was he's weird but he yeah he's he comes off as kind of like you're not sure but then eventually you're like well he's harmless like he's not really like he (laughs) but that I think that's why some of the other things that happen that's why that's that impact that's some of the things that happen because as a reader or at least I don't know I I was like he's weird but then it's okay I don't know (laughs) I didn't hate him but I was like I don't know if I would let I would be thrilled about my son like bonding with him but but then if there's a positive outcome from that then okay yeah healthy boundaries I don't (laughs) some healthy boundaries yeah house yeah it's just like this yeah the whole vibe i maybe it's just because you set the tone for the whole story but no it was it was really funny how some of the just alex's like he was just being a teenager and i like there was so much dialogue where i was like excuse me are you talking to your mother like this but then that kind of reacting like that makes doesn't make anything better right so that's Mm -hmm. there's that shock factor where i was like alex boy that's your mother what are you like watch your mouth what who do you think you are but then it's just she molly was just kind of like okay like just glossing over it right yeah it was like she's a better person than i yeah same, I think. Maybe choosing her battles or not taking a lot of things that he said so seriously and just letting things just wash off her back a little bit and recognizing that it's it's a huge amount of change that he's going through as well and yeah. just giving him a little bit of grace for the stresses in his life, you know, and partly yeah. brought on not his choice to, to be doing these things or to not have a father and to re- be relocating and some things he brought on himself or invited into his life but other things are outside of his control so right right yeah exactly oh and yeah his kudos to you for doing a little subtle like parallelism in there with alex's situation and yeah the whole the whole i'm gonna say outcome I'm trying to be more clever just yeah. <laughs> the whole the big picture here you're a sneaky one you're a sneaky one nicole oh, thank you. <laughs> It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. And a lot of emotional. So I see it afterwards, after it's um, after it's finished. And I, I don't know whether somehow it's just I think a lot of it is intuitive. So rather than me planning things out. <laughs> yeah. So what you're work you mentioned that you're working on something next. Is it anything that you can talk about? I am working on another novel and it all I can really say about it is that it's about two uh, adult women and there's some murder. <laughs> yeah, I don't I think it's still pretty early. I'm about a third of the way through the first draft, which is always really difficult for me to write when there's 
I like when I have something written and then I can work with that. That's that's more fun. But getting the first draft down, I find really tough. Yeah, I I can't really say too much about it, but I, I think yeah, it's- Yeah, I, good... I don't want to get you in trouble. It's okay. So, so where can we find you online and on social media? I'm on Instagram. I don't know what my handle, is that what it's called, a handle? Yeah. I'm really- <laughs> I'm not very good with social media, but I'm on That's there. Okay. And I I'll find, well, I'll yeah. find you and I'll, and I'll tag you and I'll put yeah. your information for the show notes and all that. But I, I love it. <laughs> I love your, how your brain just like you folks, it just doesn't care about certain things. <laughs> yeah. I'm really, yeah. I'm, I really don't know. I post some book stuff, maybe some baking. So I'm knitting. I've been doing a lot of knitting lately, which when the writing I'm flailing a little bit with the writing I can knit and then I'm actually creating something that I can see and so that gives me a sense of accomplishment especially I when my that. work count is going in the opposite direction and then pictures of my dog who is he's super cute very neurotic but he gets a lot of thumbs up or likes or hearts or whatever yeah <laughs> He's he, he get, he's a little bit more popular sometimes than, than the popular, knitting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Okay. I think it's just humans. We're just like suckers for animals sometimes. And I love that you found a hobby that kind of helps helps fulfill that your brain yeah. doesn't want to like stand still, but it's still like therapeutic and relaxing, right? Even if you can't you're not feeling the productivity in one project. So you're kind of yeah. like, well, I guess. I should do this. I, I love that. That's awesome. I, I, I haven't never have tried that. knitting, but I, I know it's a thing. <laughs> yeah. There's there's so many YouTube videos now that, that really help. And it's there's nice little projects that you want to start. Yeah, yeah, maybe. We'll see. I mean, this this thing takes a lot of my extra time between because I also have a full-time job and then two oh, kids gosh. and so yeah. yeah yeah but I enjoy it this is like my way to feel like my yeah. project fulfillment and I, I enjoy talking to talented people like you and and I'm, I'm a big dork and I'm a huge bookworm so this is opportunity to just dive a little bit deeper and and yeah. where I'm, I'm talking to the people who absolutely get it and and I love it so yeah no I, I'm right there with you I get maybe eventually I might <laughs> Yeah. might get into because there's the crochet and the knitting and things like that yeah yeah, yeah it sure. sounds like your schedule is quite full yeah I'm really good at time management so that's that's mm-hmm. definitely and I'm really organized so that definitely yeah. helps because otherwise I don't think I would be able and then plus I got I'm gonna give a shout out to my husband he's he's pretty awesome about it too so Aww. really like, okay well I have an interview today so can you pick up the kids kind of thing wow. so that I don't so, have to like I'll, I'll drop them off if you pick them up yeah. things like that so yeah. I'm not going to be available for this span of time. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Nicole Lundrigan, thank you so much. A Man Downstairs that comes out on March 5th. Everybody pick it up. Five stars, uh, especially if you like Thriller, especially if you like to be thrown for a loop. I recommend it to all readers. So yeah, obviously, thank you so much. I love di- diving deep. This was so fun. And when your 10th book comes out or anything else you got coming out, feel free to come back and be happy to chat again. Thank you so much. Very, very lovely and easy to chat with you. So I was a little nervous because this is my first time talking about the book. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
Okay, there you go. That was Nicole Lundrigan talking about A Man Downstairs. That comes out on March 5th. Rate, review, subscribe. Check out the show notes for info- links to where you can find her on social media, online, and where you can purchase the book. I definitely recommend it. Pre-orders really do help them out, help the authors out. If there's a book that you've heard a lot of hype about or maybe not so much hype about, the pre-orders really do help them be really successful, as well as the follows, the likes, the reviews, the ratings, all that good stuff. While you're finding her online, go ahead and give Cantina Book Club a follow and a like. If you're looking for book recommendations, you can find my book reviews on cantinabookclub.com. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.